Jesus said that he would build his church. For over 130 years, he has allowed Northridge to be just a small piece of that. He doesn't need our help. He said he would do it. Jesus said, I will build my church, but I want you to be a part of it. Good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. Whether you're joining us from one of our campuses or you're watching online, I want to take a moment and say hey to Webster, Greece, Henrietta, and Arondacoit, and all of you who are watching online. Thanks for being here. And I'm going to make a bold statement this morning. Okay, you guys ready? Wow. Seriously, guys? Come on. I, maybe they're better at Webster. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Here's, here's my bold statement. I believe today is the last snow of winter. Amen. Okay, all right, now we got that out of the way. Welcome to Northridge Church. It's great to have you here this morning. And if you got your Bibles, go ahead to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. It's going to be on page 798 if you're using one of the Northridge Bibles. I'd encourage you to grab your booklet. Page 30 is the notes. You can jump in your app as well and, and take notes in there or on your program. And you know, it's an exciting time to be here at Northridge Church because last week we started a brand new series called Gaining Ground, where we really just unveiled the future of our church for the next couple years, and we set two major priorities. The first one is we want to see our fifth campus launched in the city limits of Rochester, and so we're gearing up and planning for that. And then secondly is we want to see our Webster campus go from a portable campus to a permanent campus. And so it's a really exciting time, and if you weren't here for week one of this series, I'd really encourage you, if you call Northridge Church home, you want to go and watch it because we begin to talk about the future and where God is leading us as a church. And as we started this series, we found ourselves right there in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is with his disciples. They're at Caesarea Philippi, and he makes this really bold statement. He says this. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Right here, Jesus throws his reputation on the line. He says, hey, this is going to happen Take a seat and watch. Like, get ready, because I'm going to build my church. And, and last week, we looked at the first three words of that statement, I will build. And we said there were some unique things behind those three words. The first one was, we get to see, I will build, is the action. It's, it's a statement of action that God is always on the move in people's hearts and minds and souls. He's moving, and he always has been moving to fulfill his mission to build his church. Behind it is also action and inevitability. That, man, I will build is the statement where Jesus says, hey, you know, enemy, you can throw whatever defenses or schemes you have at me, but at the end of the day, they will not prevail because I'm going to build my church. And there is nothing that can stop my church. It's an unstoppable force. And then lastly, we see I will build as a statement of invitation. That as we watch Jesus' life unfold through the Great Commission, he calls all of his followers to go make disciples, that he invites us to play an active role in the building of his church. God doesn't need us by any means, but yet he chooses, he gives us the privilege of being a part. He invites us in. 
And it's a privilege that requires sacrifice. And this morning, as we continue in this series, we're going to look at the next two words. I will build, Jesus says, my church. The first thing we have to understand about my is this isn't our church. It's never been our church. It's always been God's. Although we call Northridge Church our home church, it has always been and always will be God's church. He's the leader of it. He's the one we follow. He guides us. He's sovereign over it. But then you think of that second word, church. You see, in a crowd this big over multiple campuses and people watching online, when we hear that word church, probably for many of us, as we define it, maybe a little bit differently. What is the church? For many of us, based on our background, is kind of what we picture in our head. Some of us were Catholic or Baptist, and we automatically think of an ornate steeple with the cross or stained glass windows, a very traditional church building. Some of us were, were very new to the church, and so the church might look like the Arondacoit campus, or the church might look like a middle school or a movie theater. But one thing we have to understand that when Jesus makes this statement, he says, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about buildings. He wasn't talking about some form of facility. Jesus wasn't talking about building this portfolio of magnificent, ornate buildings. No, when Jesus said, I will build my church, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about people. He's talking about people. Because God's church has always been about and will always be about people. God says, I'm going to invest, and I'm going to pour into people, and I'm going to get them passionate. I'm going to change their life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to build my church on passionate people who will tell other people and influence other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is I've been, I've been working for the local church for 13 years. I've been a pastor my entire professional career. That's what God called me to. And for, for, since I was a 16-year-old boy, I've been chasing that dream and just following God. And if, if I go back and I just look at all the 13 years of ministry serving the local church, I've served in four different locations. I've been in Maryland and two places in Georgia and now in, in New York. And I've, I've served at different churches with Pretty magnificent buildings. I've been in, in, in a huge building that had all the things you could ever want, moving lights and huge stages and all the, the glam, glitz and glamour. I've been in a more traditional Baptist church. And what's interesting is that if, I, if I just go back and I just kind of rewind and play through all 13 years, you know what stands out to me? It's not the facilities I've worked in. It's not the stages that I've preached on. It's not the lights or the, the bands that stand out to me. You know what it is? It's the people. It's a young man like Reese, who when I was a youth pastor at summer camp, stood up in front of 250 of his friends and said, hey, I need help because I'm hurting myself. And I watched God change a young man's direction. It's people like Caleb and Jordan, who when I met them, they were young, crazy individuals who could care less about God and wanted to do everything other than please God. And seven years later, now they're pastors leading and walking people to Jesus Christ. I think of people like Rodney and Cindy Brooks who have invested in me and countless other peoples have preached the gospel to many people and watched their lives change. Because when we, when we think about the church, the last thing we should picture is a building. We should have faces and names of people who have influenced us and people we have influenced because that is what the church is all about. And what makes Northridge Church 
a church at all is the fact that we just have people coming and gathering to worship God. That's what makes us a church. It has nothing to do with multiple campuses or a stream or, or music or anything. It's the fact that we have a gathering of people who are in, on this mission to please God and worship God. In fact, this is what Andy Stanley says. He says, Jesus did not predict a place. He predicted a people. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And it's going to be built on people. It's going to be built through people. I'm going to invest in them. And what's interesting about this statement is I will build my church. It gives us a glimpse into who God is. It gives us this glimpse into what God is passionate about and what God truly values. And the one thing you have to understand about the God you came this morning to worship is God has an unquenchable love for people. And man, aren't you glad about that today? Aren't you thankful for that truth today? That God loves you and God loves me. Because I don't know where I would be in my own personal life without the loving, gracious God working in me. And what's crazy is if you read your Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, that is the central thesis message of the entire Bible. That God loves the world, that God loves you and I. In fact, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. Some of you have it memorized. Some of you have heard it before. It says this, for God so loved the world. Every single person in it. Not based on what they look like, how much they have. He just loved the world and every individual he created in it. And what's interesting about God's love is it's not like our culture's love. It's not like how we love. You see, when we say to somebody, I love you, usually what we want is something from them. I love you, and, and my love demands something in response of you. But that's not how God's love works. It says, for God so loved the world, and he didn't just say he loved you. He wasn't like, hey, world, I love you, cool, right? No, he was like, hey, let me show you how much I love you. Look at the verse. It says, he loved the world that he gave his one and only son. First John 4, it says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrated, he showed his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, broken, running from God, Christ died for us. And a central thesis of that statement, you see, the church is rooted in God's unquenchable love for people. God loves people. He loves you and he loves me. And he will build his church through the people who he loves. And what does that have to do with our vision and our future as a church? You see, we're gearing up to take a campus from portable to permanent. And what that means is we're going to have to invest finances into a building. And it would be easy for us to get excited. It would be easy for us as a church to kind of rant and rave about, wow, we're going to have a new facility and we're going to have another building. And we're going to be, I mean, look at all the things that are going to be included in this building. And, and we, it would be easy for us to get excited about a facility, a structure, brick and mortar, or a building. But I want us to step back and I want us to understand something as we press forward in this journey is the first thing is that God isn't concerned with structures. He's passionate about souls. That is the, the truth of, of God's word is he doesn't care where we gather. He doesn't care if it's homes or movie theaters or, or middle schools or a quote unquote church building. God doesn't care. And we've seen this through the history of our church. We've seen God use unique places to for, for, further building his church. And it's this weird kind of, 
it's this weird conversation because in this journey, we're talking about a building, but really, at the end of the day, it doesn't have much to do with the building. Because God doesn't really care whether a church has a lot of buildings or zero buildings. God doesn't care, and he's not interested in us as a church building this really nice portfolio of of ornate and beautiful buildings. What he is passionate about is reaching and loving and caring about people. And the truth is, is we can easily get excited about a building, but really what we should get excited about is our why, reaching the 755,000 people who are dying and going to hell, who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality, buildings are temporary, souls are eternal. Buildings will fade. We see this all throughout the the city of Rochester, the greater Rochester area. Drive around, you see all these church buildings. Guess what? They faded. Some of them aren't even being used anymore. Some of them are businesses because buildings fade, but souls are eternal. And, And I told you at the beginning of this journey, as we take step after step of faith, we have to understand our why, and our why should drive us. And our why is not another building. Our why is that we know that there are 755,000 people in our community and in our neighborhoods and in our backyards and in our homes and in our schools and, and in, our, in our classrooms that if, if they, they, they self-proclaim. This isn't something that we came up with. They self-proclaim that Jesus has no bearing, no influence on their eternity. And so that should move us. That should, should, should move us to action. And, and yet I still think we hear that number. You know, 755,000 people. I mean, we asked you to set your alarms and to pray for those people. I hope that alarm has drove you crazy all week long. But I also hope it's kind of driven you to your knees to pray for those people. A holy annoyance. But again, we hear 755,000 people, and we have no picture of what that looks like. Like, that's just a number to us. And I kind of want to put a little bit of a perspective around that this morning. I kind of want to give you a glimpse of what 755,000 people really looks like. You see, if you were to take all of our auditoriums, every single chair that we set out on a Sunday morning, so you would take the, the chairs at our Rondecoit campus, you would take the chairs at Henrietta, and the chairs at, at Greece and then at Webster, and if you were to fill them up, every single chair, every single Sunday, to capacity, and then the next Sunday, you would, you would fill them up with new people, And then the next Sunday with brand new people, you would fill them each week with new people full to capacity. It would take over 450 Sundays to reach 755,000 people. Now, 450 Sundays sounds like, wow, that's a lot, but what does that exactly mean? How many years is that? It's not two years. It's not five years. It's just over eight years with every single seat that we have filled with new people every Sunday. It would take eight years to reach 755,000 people. And that is where we live. That is the need. That is our why that drives us. And just for a second, man, just glance around your auditorium. Just glance at the seats that are are in our auditorium here at Arondecoy and in Webster and in Greece and and, in Henrietta. Just look at the seats because I think sometimes we just show up to church and we sit in the seat and we don't even begin to think about it, but each seat represents a name, a story, a life, a soul that God passionately loves and cares about. And we have to remember that this, this isn't really about a structure, it's about God and him loving people and caring for souls. But then secondly, we have to understand that this project isn't about property, it's about potential. 
This project isn't about a property that we want to collect for our own repertoire of buildings. It's about the potential it sets us up to reach more people and to grow more people. You see, statistics alone kind of share that to us. When you take a, a portable campus and you make it permanent, it just says something to the community. It says, hey, we're going to be a beacon of hope in this community for the long haul. We're not going anywhere. Northridge Church, you can bank on it, Webster. We're going to be here, and we're going to be a beacon of hope for this community for the long haul. And stats show that when a campus goes from portable to permanent, it will grow in the first two years by 50 to 100% in the first two years. And we don't have to look at any other churches to actually measure that data because God did the same thing right here at our Rondequay campus. In 2010, our church made, built this auditorium that many of us are sitting in right now. And in the first two years of the Arondacoit campus auditorium being built, God grew our campus by 66%. We've seen it happen historically in our church. But again, this is not just about the Webster community. It would be easy for us to, to kind of narrow it down just to Webster, but what this building will allow us to do in the Webster community is to broaden our reach to the eastern side of our city. It will allow us to launch campuses in Williamson, in Ontario, and out in Sodus. It will allow us to broaden our reach to reach and love and care for more people as a church. Because that's what the church is ultimately about. And yet again, we don't have to look anywhere else to, to find data. We've seen God do it through our own church. Through the Arondacoit campus, we saw not only 66% growth here at this campus, but we saw a Greece campus launched. We saw a, a Webster campus launched. We saw a, a Henrietta campus launched. And now we're gearing up for our fifth city and how God has used this tool to grow his church, to invest in people, to love and to care for people. And the truth that we have to come back to, that we have to be reminded of on a regular basis is that everyone spends eternity somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere, and it's easy. I, I fall trapped to this so much that it's so easy in our lives, in the busyness and the chaoticness of our life and our schedule, to not think about eternity. Because Monday's coming. Tuesday's coming. I got meetings, and I got things to do. And, and oftentimes, as Christians, we focus so much on the here and now, but we forget that James says life is but a vapor. Here and now is short and quick, but eternity is forever. And man, we know that there are 755,000 people who, or if they were to die today or tomorrow or the week, if something wouldn't change with their relationship with Jesus, they would spend eternity separated from God. And as a church, we just have to answer that question. Are we okay with that? Does that break our hearts? Does that move us to action and to sacrifice? Because the truth of God's word is everybody spends eternity somewhere. And that should move us to urgency and to action as the church, as a gathering of people willing to do whatever it takes to reach and love those people. And what's crazy is you look at the history of our church. We have seen God work in moments just like this. See, just about a year and a half ago, we saw God move in the life of our church to launch our Henrietta campus. And our prayers and our why was we wanted to see God invest in the community of Henrietta. We wanted to see him reach college students. We wanted him to love on a, a group of people that has overlooked the deaf community. And we asked our church to sacrifice to make that happen. And over a year and a half of ministry in the Webster Henrietta, Henrietta area, God has done some amazing things. In fact, I want to show you just 
how God has changed one young man's eternity through your sacrifice. Check this out. So I study physics at RIT and, and my friend Andrew and I one time had, had lunch together and it was, a, it was a Saturday afternoon. He was telling me about how there was, there was this church in this movie theater um, in Henrietta and uh, I thought it was pretty cool because at one time I saw on TV there was a church and there was a subway right next to it so I didn't think too much about it and then he asked me if I wanted to go see a movie on that, that Sunday morning at about 10.30 a.m. And I should have expected something different than just a movie, but as we're going up to the, the movie theater, we're driving up, um, looking at the, the uh, movies that are listed on the top of the, the theater, and, and we're walking up, I'm like, hey, Andrew, what, um, what movie are we gonna go see? And he's like, oh, just, just don't worry about it, just wait, we'll um, get inside soon. So we're walking up to the door, and there's these really nice people that have like uh, coffee and donuts in their hands, and they're all smiling, and they greet me as we're going through the door. And I'm like, Andrew, what, what's up with this? Is this like a really nice movie theater or something? And he's like, no, this is church. And I was like, church? I was like, I didn't think we are going to church. In my head, I was just saying, like, I, how, how could you bring somebody to church? I, I can't believe it. Uh, I had a bit of a church background before in the, in the Catholic church, and but we didn't go that much. We went for like Easter and Christmas sometimes. It was, the why of why we went to church wasn't really there. Um, it was just something that you had to do, had to get done. So as we're in uh, Northridge for the first time, and we get some coffee and donuts uh, after we're in there, and we go inside, we get the, the nice program, which had the, like, the skeleton notes, and I thought that was really nice. Um, so we're sitting down, and we listen to Drew speak, and, and then we leave, and Andrew asked me how, how it was, and I started like, listening off all these things that, that um, I was thinking about the other church that I went to, and, and how, how it was a little different at Northridge. And, and I just kept talking about how, how kind of nice it was to sort of being tricked into going to church um, and, and how it was, it, was, it was a nice thing instead of sort of a mean thing as I thought in the beginning. I went back the next week mostly because I, I sort of didn't want to tell Andrew that I didn't want to go. Um, so then we went back again um, and then it started to become routine so we went back again and then we got into starting point which he didn't have to trick me into going to. We started learning more about um, the Bible and, and like what it was, what was inside of it. And I never picked one up before. And so then I started reading and I kept reading and I liked it so much. I was reading and reading and reading every day and I was like committed to like finishing it. Like that's, if I was gonna do nothing else, I was gonna, I was gonna finish the New Testament in, in two months. I had all these questions and I was getting all these answers and, and I was just like studying, studying, studying. And cause it was, it was just so cool to me that they had this, this book or, or collection of books that like let you know what happened back then. And I, I kind of had no idea that, that the Bible was that. I thought it was just some like, um, I don't know, fanciful, like, uh, like ancient poetic uh, writings that you couldn't really make sense of and you couldn't apply to modern day, but you can. And it was, it was just so nice. And so I was like kind of like addicted to it in a little, little way. At some point in uh, a couple months after I started going to, to Northridge, I got involved in a community group. It was really nice. Uh, it was really friendly people and, and the food was good too. And so uh, going, going forward, I started getting involved in the, the kids ministry because at one point I heard that there was, there was a need for volunteers and, and I was thinking, I was like, well, if, if somebody needs help with, with their kids and they can't attend the, the service because they have to handle their kids, then, then I want to help them. And so then I got involved in the kids' men. I heard about uh, 
the baptism and and as you go through the Bible you see all these adult baptisms and and how it's really a purposeful public declaration of faith um, to others so that you can you can inspire them and, and show them that you are a Christ follower and so I was I was reading more and more about that and and I found out that um, you could you could be baptized at Northridge. We got it set up. We we shot a video and then and then they dunked me. And since my baptism, I still host in the kids ministry and attend community group and study the Bible vigorously. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. Right now I'm in Psalms. And I'm just so excited to see what God has in store for me. So last Sunday I was at the, my first night of worship, and I was watching the videos about about Four Rock and and the people who donated to the Henrietta campus for it to to start up. And I was, I was sitting there in my chair and I was watching them and there's these people who are just sacrificing so much money and, and even more than they thought they would. And, and I, I was sitting in my chair and I was just thinking like, wow, like if they didn't donate this money, I wouldn't be here right now. That money I could see directly helped me um, find God. And me coming to, to Northridge and, and my, my ability to, to be there at the Henrietta campus um, through, through so many people's sacrifices um, really helped me change my life. I feel in the cheesiest way that I've found purpose in life and loving others unconditionally I think is one of the most important things I've learned from from reading about Jesus and, and reading in the Bible and the undeserved mercy given to us and that we should show to other people and just just helping out uh, other people and, and sacrificing in so many different ways. And I don't think any of that would happen at all if I didn't come to Northridge and I didn't get to know God. Um, and it's so it's so weird how all those, all these things that's happened in the past, uh, just, just over a year of my life, um, it pretty much have directly been correlated to people's donations, people's sacrifice, as they sit there with a the checkbook and they're like, how much should we give? And I saw in the video that some people were given double the amount and maybe that was maybe that was the change. Maybe that was the uh, the breaking point between opening the campus or not. And it's it's just in those moments when they were they were thinking about their sacrifice was the moments that God was thinking about me um, and bringing me to Northridge that way. And it's just it blows my mind sometimes. Like I, I was sitting there, and it was just I wouldn't be here. I don't think. What a powerful story of Liam, and God has worked in many people's lives over the Henrietta campus. And the one thing I've learned about sacrifice is sacrifice leads to impact. It does. When, when we get serious and we're, we're okay with sacrifice as a church, it usually sets God up to impact people's lives. And so as we begin to walk even further into this journey, here's a couple of things I would ask for you as we continue in gaining ground. The first thing I would ask you to do is to expect from God. To dream a little bit, to trust in God and recognize the future impact of this moment. I mean, I don't want to oversell this and I don't want to undersell it as well, but I think as a church we have to, to recognize th this moment in the life of our church, this opportunity in the life of our church for God to set us up for the future to impact many people's lives for the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, I, I, I'm a visionary, I, I'm a dreamer, and so a lot of my life I spend out in the future just dreaming and believing what God can do. And the truth is, is we serve an amazing God, a God of the impossible. And it's easy to dream about the things God can do through this opportunity. And so I began to write a couple things down. You know, when it, when it comes to this permanent building in Webster, you see, I believe God can use this facility to begin to chip away at the 755. 
I believe God's going to use this facility to, to see some people who don't know about Jesus come to saving grace and know the goodness of our God. I believe God's going to use this facility to pour into little children a foundation of who God is, and they will grow up understanding the truths of God's word. I believe God's going to use this facility to, 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 to speak to a teenager who's going to stop chasing popularity and is going to start following Jesus. I believe God's going to use this facility to break some addictions that have been strongholds in people's lives for many years. I believe God's going to use this facility to restore some broken families and bring some marriages back together. You see, I believe God's going to use this facility to love on a foster care kid or to see a child who doesn't have a home be adopted. I believe God's going to use this facility in ways that we can't even dream or fathom. And are you with me, church? Yeah. Because it's not about a building. At the end of the day, it's about people's lives. That's why God created the church, that we as his ambassadors could go into the world and to love the world as they are to lead them to the saving grace that will change their life in who Jesus is. And that's the calling he's placed on us as Northridge Church. We are the church. You are the church. I am the church. It's about people. And so we dream and we expect from God because he's a big God. And how do we do that? Well, we believe now and we experience Later, God has historically taken moments like this in our church, scary moments of faith, where we as, as, a, as a church, we believe and we, we step out in faith, we sacrifice knowing that if we believe now and we trust in God now, we will experience and reap the harvest later. We have seen over the history of our church, as our people take giant leaps of faith, we have seen God impact people's lives over the course of 130 years of Northridge Church. We've seen, we've seen seasons of harvest every time we've stepped out in faith. And so we believe God, we expect God, we dream of what God's going to do, and we step back, we take our hands off of it, and we watch God do what only God can do. And then secondly, the second thing I would ask you to consider is to sacrifice for God. The truth is, is this journey, this gaining ground initiative is going to take all of Northridge Church to sacrifice. And so I'd ask you to consider that, to pray about that. If you call Northridge Church home, whether you're watching online or you live in a different city or you're at one of our campuses and this church has impacted your life, it's impacted your family's life, I would ask you to just pray. God, what does this look like for us? What does it look like to, for me to sacrifice wherever we are? We always say this, equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. Everybody's at a different place. And so we ask you to, to, to sacrifice, to pray through that. And, and we don't want you to do this out of guilt. This isn't, hey, you, if you don't do it, you should feel guilty. That's not what this is about. This is just an opportunity to, for us to follow Jesus' example and to sacrifice. And the one thing you have to understand about our church is it's built on sacrifice. It starts with Jesus. Without Jesus' sacrifice, let's be honest, none of us would be here this morning. Without Jesus spreading his arms wide on that cross, our lives wouldn't be changed. And then from that, do you realize, I, I think sometimes we don't realize this, I, sometimes I forget this. I've been here three years. And this, this church has a history of 130 years of people sacrificing to make space for somebody else. And we're not always talking about dollars here. We're talking about someone who left a campus to go to another campus to open up a space for somebody else. This church has a history of someone giving up something they love so someone can experience the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And again, here's a moment in the life of our church where we're asking people to sacrifice, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the 755,000 people. To watch God put a dent in that number. And here's how we sacrifice. We, we choose to say, hey, I'll take a temporary loss to see an eternal gain. I'll choose to let go of something that really ultimately doesn't mean much to me in the scheme of eternity to watch God do and change somebody's eternal life. We recognize the eternal return on our investment. And let's be honest, I mean, no one likes sacrifice. No one looks forward to it. It's painful, it's hard. I'll be the first to, to tell you that. When, as I've geared up to sacrifice for this initiative, it hasn't been fun. I haven't been like, oh, this is great. But there's something sacrifice does in my heart, and maybe you can relate to this, is when I gear up to sacrifice, it, it kind of shapes in my mind and in my heart what is really valuable in life. And I spend so much time chasing things that ultimately, when it comes to eternity, have no value, that fade and spoil. And when you choose to sacrifice, you usually end up giving up things that really don't matter in the scheme of eternity. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary, and he was passionate about telling people about Jesus. It actually ended up causing him, him to lose his life. The very people he was telling about Jesus ended up taking his life. And this is what Jim Elliott says. He says, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I mean, just let those words sink in for a second. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus said words just like this in Mark chapter 8. He says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And I want to pause here for a moment because I think this is important. Because I think there are maybe someone who needs to hear this Man, you can experience all the luxuries in this world, all the pleasures, and for a season they will satisfy you. But eventually they will fade and spoil and you will be left void. That's why some of the richest people in the world are still not satisfied. They have all the money, they can buy all the things, and yet there's still something missing. It's because the only thing that can satisfy you fully is Jesus. And maybe today you've been chasing and running after the things of this world and it's left you empty and void. And I'm telling you today, why not try Jesus? Because I promise you, throughout life, in the most cheesiest way, he will give your life purpose. And that void you're searching to fill, only Jesus can. That's why Jesus says, you can have all the world and all the splendor and all the glory of it, all its luxuries and riches, and you can have it all. And you can lose the most important thing you have, your soul. The thing that will last for eternity. And you know what, I, I think we have to keep that mentality when we step into a moment like this where we ask our church to sacrifice. What really matters? Sacrifice is scary. We don't look forward to it. But if you don't remember anything from this message, just remember this. 
On April 14th, we're going to bring our sacrifice before the Lord, and we're going to ask him to use it. Commitment Sunday. And I want you to know this, that when you sacrifice, if you choose to do so, you are not sacrificing for a building or a facility or for brick and mortar. You are sacrificing for a mission. And that is the mission that this church is built around. It's the mission of reaching people far from God and growing people closer to God. And we can have all the buildings in the world, and if we don't fulfill that mission, it's a waste. And so you are sacrificing not for the sake of a portfolio of buildings, but you are sacrificing to love and to care and to reach people who are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And so when you give and when you sacrifice, know that truth. It's not about buildings. Jesus Christ's church, when he said, I will build my church, it always has been and it always will be, be about people. It's the foundation. Jesus is the foundation, and the people who live out the mission are his church. When we think about sacrifice, we have to start with Jesus. We do. Because he models it for us. He's the example, and Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And when he gave up his life on that cross, what it did for you and I is it gave us this word called grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a sinful man like me. It was a gift that I couldn't deserve, that you couldn't deserve. You didn't earn it. You didn't have the capacity of getting it. But yet Jesus gives it to you freely. And it's because of that grace that's changed our life. Amazing grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace that you give to us freely. And oftentimes we, we over, we, we don't, we take for granted that grace, and yet we forget how much it cost you. So God, remind us that that same grace that you gave us, we should give freely to others. And God, as we gear up to sacrifice for the future of our church, may we always remember that it's not about buildings, it's about people. You said you'll build your church, and you said I'm going to invite people to be a part of it. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the grace that you give us that's changed our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we wind down our service today, we're going to sing about the amazing grace that God gives to each and every one of us. So at all of our locations, and at home and in the car, would you stand and would you sing about the amazing grace God gives us? Don't stand in your car.